Story 2 of Japanese Fairy World Stories from the Wonderlore of Japan by William Elliot Griffiths This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian The Travels of Two Frogs Forty miles apart as the cranes fly stand the great cities of Osaka and Kyoto. The one is the city of canals and bridges. Its streets are full of bustling trade, and its waterways are ever alive with gondolas shooting hither and thither like the wooden shuttles in a loom. The other is the sacred city of the Mikado's empire, girdled with green hills and a ninefold circle of flowers. In its quiet, clean streets laid out like a chessboard, walk the shaven monks and gowned scholars. And very beautiful is Kyoto, with pretty girls and temple gardens, and castle walls and towers and moats, in which the white lotus blooms. Long, long ago, in the good old days, before the hairy-faced and pale-cheeked men from over the sea of great peace, the Pacific Ocean, came to Japan, before the black coal smoke and snorting engines scared the white heron from the rice fields, before black crows and fighting sparrows, which fear not man, perched on telegraph wires, or ever a railway was thought of, there lived two frogs, one in a well in Kyoto, the other in a lotus pond in Osaka. Now it is a common proverb in the land of the gods, Japan, that the frog in the well knows not the great ocean. And the Kyoto frog had so often heard this scornful sneer from the maids who came to draw out water with their long bamboo-handled buckets, that he resolved to travel abroad and see the world, and especially the Taikai, the great ocean. I'll see for myself said Mr. Frog, as he packed his wallet and wiped his spectacles, what this great ocean is that they talk about. I'll wager it isn't half as deep or wide as well, where I can see the stars even at daylight. Now, the truth was, a recent earthquake had greatly reduced the depth of the well, and the water was getting very shallow. Mr. Frog informed his family of his intentions. Mrs. Frog wept a great deal, but, drying her eyes with her paper handkerchief, she declared she would count the hours on her fingers till he came back, and at every morning and evening meal would set out his table with food on it, just as if he were home. She tied up a little lacquer box full of boiled rice and snails for his journey, wrapped it around with a silk napkin, and putting his extra clothes in a bundle, swung it on his back. Tying it over his neck, he seized his staff and was ready to go. Sayonara! Goodbye! cried he, as with a tear in his eye he walked away. Sayonara! Oshidogazuni! Goodbye! Walk slowly! croaked Mrs. Frog, and the whole family of young frogs in a chorus. Two of the froggies were still babies. That is, they were yet pollywogs, with a half-inch of tail still on them, and, of course, were carried about by being strapped on the back of their older brothers. 
Mr. Frog, being now on land, out of his well, noticed that the other animals did not leap, but walked on their legs, and not wishing to be eccentric, he likewise began briskly walking upright on his hind legs, or waddling on all fours. Now it happened that about the same time, the Osaka father frog had become restless and dissatisfied with life on the edge of his lotus ditch. He had made up his mind to cast the lion's cub into the valley. Why, that is tall talk for a frog, I must say, exclaims the reader. What did he mean? I must tell you that the Osaka frog was a philosopher. Right at the edge of his lotus pond was a monastery full of Buddhist monks, who every day studied their sacred scrolls and droned over the books of Confucius to learn them by heart. Our frog had heard them so often that he could, in frog language of course, repeat many of their wise sentences and intone responses to their evening prayers put up by the great idol Amida. Indeed, our frog had so often listened to their debates on texts from the classics that he had himself become a sage and a philosopher. Yet, as the proverb says, the sage is not happy. Why not? In spite of a soft mud bank, plenty of green scum, stagnant water, and shady lotus leaves, a fat wife and numerous family, in short, everything to make a frog happy, his forehead, or rather gullet, was wrinkled with care from pondering of knotty problems such as the following. The monks often came down to the edge of the pond to look at the pink and white lotus. One summer day, as a little frog hardly out of his tadpole state with a small fragment of tail still left, sat basking on a huge round leaf, one monk said to the other, of what does that remind you? The babies of frogs will become but frogs, said one shaven pate, laughing. What think you? The white lotus flower springs out of the black mud, said the other solemnly, as both walked away. The old frog, sitting nearby, overheard them, and began to philosophize. Ha! Huh. The babies of frogs will become but frogs, eh? If mud becomes lotus, why shouldn't a frog become a man? Why not? If my pet son should travel abroad and see the world, go to Kyoto, for instance, why shouldn't he be as wise as those shining-headed men, I wonder? I shall try it anyhow. I'll send my son on a journey to Kyoto. I'll cast the lion's cub into the valley. Send the pet son abroad in the world to see and study, at once. I'll deny myself for the sake of my offspring. Flump, splash, sounded the water, as a pair of webby feet disappeared. The lion's cub was soon ready, after much paternal advice and much counsel to beware of being gobbled up by long-legged storks and trod on by impolite men, and struck at by bad boys. Kyoi nai no inaka, even in the capital there are boers, said Father Frog. Now it happened that the old frog from Kyoto, and the lion's cub from Osaka, 
started each from his home at the same time. Nothing of importance occurred to either of them until, as luck would have it, they met on a hill near Hashimoto, which is halfway between the two cities. Both were footsore and websore, and very tired, especially about the hips, on account of the unfrog-like manner of walking, instead of hopping, as they had been used to. Ohayo gozarimasu! Good morning, said the lion's cub to the old frog, as he fell on all fours and bowed his head to the ground three times, squinting up over his left eye to see if the other frog was paying equal deference in return. Hai, konnichiwa! Yes, good day, replied the Kyoto frog. Yoi tanki! It is rather fine weather today, said the cub. Hai! Yoitenki gozense. Yes, it is very fine, replied the old fellow. I am Gamataro from Osaka, the oldest son of Hikidono, Sensui no Kami, Lord Bullfrog, Prince of the Lotus Ditch. Your lordship must be weary with your journey. I am Kayeru-san of Idomitsu, Sir Frog of the Well, in Kyoto. I started out to see the great ocean from Osaka, but I declare my hips are so dreadfully tired that I believe that I'll give up my plan and content myself with a look from this hill. The truth must be owned that the old frog was not only on his hind legs, but also on his last legs when he stood up to look at Osaka, while the cub was tired enough to believe anything. The old fellow, wiping his face, spoke up. Suppose we save ourselves the trouble of the journey. This hill is halfway between the two cities, and while I see Osaka and the sea, you can get a good look of the Kyo, capital, or Kyoto. Happy thought, said the Osaka frog. Then both reared themselves upon their hind legs, and stretching upon their toes, body to body and neck to neck, propped each other up, rolled their goggles and looked steadily, as they supposed, on the places which they each wished to see. Now everyone knows that a frog has eyes mounted in the part of his head, which is front when he is down, and back when he stands up. They are set like a compass on gimbals. Long and steadily they gazed, until at last, their toes being tired, they fell down on all fours. I declare, said the old Yase, Daddy, Osaka looks just like Kyoto, and as for the great ocean, those stupid maids talked about, I don't see any at all, unless they mean that strip of river that looks all the world like the Yodo. I don't believe there is any great ocean. As for my part, said the cub, I am satisfied that it's all folly to go further, for Kyoto is as like Osaka as one grain of rice is like another. Then he said to himself, O Totsu-san, my father, is a fool with all his philosophy. Thereupon both congratulated themselves upon the happy, labour-saving expedient by which they had spared themselves a long journey, much leg-weariness, and some danger. <laughs>
they departed after exchanging many compliments, and dropping again into a frog's hop, they leapt back in half the time, the one to his well, and the other to his pond. There each told the story of both cities looking exactly alike, thus demonstrating the folly of those foolish folks called men. As for the old gentleman in the lotus pond, he was so glad to get the cub back again that he never again tried to reason out the problems of philosophy, and to this day the frog in the well knows not and believes not in the great ocean. Still do the babies of frogs become but frogs. Still is it vain to teach the reptiles philosophy, for all such labour is like pouring water in a frog's face. Still out of the black mud springs the glorious white lotus in celestial purity, unfolding its stainless petals to the smiling heavens, the emblem of life and resurrection. End of the Travels of Two Frogs